0: Relay FM, this is Connected Episode one hundred and thirteen. Today's show is brought to you by Smile and the Nuisance Committee. Please stay tuned after this show for a special message about the twenty sixteen presidential election. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined by Mr Federico Vitici. Ciao Federico. Ciao, Mike. And Mr. Stephen Hackett. I'm just going to take it straight to follow up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> as promised and as teased, we have the update to the Relay FM app uh, for iOS is out. Version 1.5 includes a bunch of iMessage stickers. Uh, so there will be a link in the show notes to the blog post and then, of course, to the ever-important iOS app store. And that, uh, they're out, super fun. We've gotten a lot of screenshots of people totally like blasting their uh, friends and family with stickers that they have no idea what the jokes are about, which I, which I really enjoy. People just pushing the Relay FM humor onto uh, innocent bystanders.
0: So please uh, please keep that up uh, in your life. There is nothing better in the world than having an um, iMessage sticker of yourself. It's pretty good to send to people.
2: Yeah. It's very nice. It's very nice. Especially when I can stamp my name onto things I approve. And especially when my mom doesn't understand why there's a stamp with my name. Uh, she's like, what is, what is that? What is that supposed to mean? Is that like a joke? And I'm like, no.
1: Didn't, didn't there used to be an app that was just based around that? Um, what was it called? Oh, really?
2: Titchi Tweets, you mean?
1: No, no, no. It was based around like you would like uh, stamp your oh, approval on yeah. things. Stamped. It was just called Stamp. Yahoo bought it and shut it down.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, that social network.
1: Man, that is like deep track knowledge. I yeah, love that, that app. Was,
0: that was in the time where everybody started their own weird social networks, right?
1: Yeah, we were all using Path at the same time. Oh, dear. Rest in peace.
2: What were we talking about? uh <laughs> St- stickers stickers. Steven, <laughs> stickers we were talking about iMessage and, and bystanders so
1: if you were enjoying it this is the obligatory please go uh drop a review on the app in the app store that would be really awesome and help us out federica you had questions about stickers
2: well I don't have questions I just appreciate them they're very fun I've been sending them to my friends and again they don't understand but it's fun and especially you know the I, I love how the TCC quality has like a a really subtle animation going on. It's very awesome work. I also like the mic emoji, which I sent to, to you know, to John and other people. Uh, I think you did a great job, you know. They're really fun. And it's one more reason to get the Relay app, if only for the stickers. And we have more sticker packs in the works um,
0: for the future. This is our starting pack, which we we work really hard on. We're very excited about it, and we hope that you love them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wanted to know, like... Um, was there like a process, like a an election, to get to to decide the basic sticker packs? Can can people kind of vote on what they want to have next? So so, what we
0: did for this first one was we asked all of our hosts to give us some suggestions of stickers. Uh, we presented them to our designer, the amazing Forgotten Towel, um, and he looked at what he thought he would be able to do from those suggestions, and we went from there. And then we worked with the TapJets team to get some of them animated. Uh, and then, in the future, I don't know we're going to see maybe we could do some for special events and stuff like that, but also, I am open to, and we are very open to our listeners suggesting stickers that they would like to see in the future, um, and we're starting to build up a list of things that we could add in in future updates so it was uh it was a slightly democratic process
2: slightly democratic mm-hmm. okay, yeah, that's our future. This is like democracy, so good <laughs> job. <laughs>
0: uh, let's not get down that rabbit hole.
2: Sure. Talk to me about London and, and Apple. What is going on, Mike? Yeah, I went to the
0: new Regent Street store, uh, which I'd spoken mm. about that I was going to go and visit, and it is beautiful. So I couldn't help but take some video of the store, um, turned it into half of a, of a vlog episode on my YouTube channel. Um, it is just an absolutely stunning, stunning building. I was blown away by it.
2: So I was watching the video because, you you know, you're now also a YouTuber, a f- mm-hmm. very famous YouTube personality.
0: Yeah, like the most famous, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. Top, top UK YouTuber. And yep, yep. Uh, so I was looking at the video and the ceiling looks insane to me. It looks like a movie, like some kind of throne meets Apple Store. And there's a, you, you were describing to us these little touches around the store so besides the fact that i think you can just uh unplug an iphone from the charger there's no security cable Nothing. anymore uh, you told us uh the when you go up the stairs they did something pretty cool with the with the stone with yeah the, what's it called the handrail or so something?
0: i tried to show this in the video because i really loved it but they carved the handrails into Italian limestone Federico.
2: That's amazing.
0: And the angles of the handrails are the same angles that they use in Apple products, like phones and laptops and stuff. Like they carved them to the same angle. I I don't know why you would do that, but I love that they did. Um, The store is so amazing. You said about the ceiling, like the lighting in there is so, it's like warm. It's really interesting. And because like the whole ceiling is just lit. The whole thing is lit, and it gives uh-huh. it this really nice look. And the way they put the trees in there, they didn't seem to have a genius grove as such. It was just like mm. seemed to be split out, like just spread across the whole store. There were like just places mm. where you could sit down and get help. Um, but I thought it was it was really amazing. The a uh, stew in the in a uh, Stuart in the uh, in the chat room if they brought the theater back. There isn't a theater in this store. They have the big screen at the bottom and they have some seats there, but they have recently put a theater in the Covent Garden store, which is not too far away. Uh, but mm. there used to be like a, a theater space. Do you remember when I did that Monument Valley thing? Yes. That was in the yes. theater in the Regent Street store, but that doesn't exist anymore. I think in that area they put this new thing called the boardroom where they're doing like business meetings and they're probably going to do product demos in there for press that's where that is like you can't get in there obviously uh but there's no theater anymore but they have this big screen and there's like an area in front of the screen where they have seats and they could put more seats i expect but that's on the ground floor and i expect they'll do some things there like on the opening day they had an artist who had an ipad pro and a pencil sketching people and it was mirroring what he was sketching on the on the screen that you could sit down and have your portrait done that's cool um, and I expect they'll do a lot of stuff like that because they put this screen like, you know, the big screen. It's like right as you go in, which is really interesting. Like you can there's like just this big pathway and you just see the screen. It's It's been designed quite beautifully. But I guess if they want to do a lot of those um talks at the Apple Store type thing, I expect they'll probably do more of those in Covent Garden because they've recently built out a big like, kind of stage there. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of stores, at least the
1: ones that I've been here in the United States, have gotten rid of the, the theater. I think our local store got rid of it like ten years ago. But even like the new stores, like the San Francisco store, which we've all been to, you know, huge two story, beautiful it's like a beautiful location, you just want to like go and hang out. Uh, there's no there's no theater there. And my my guess is mm-hmm. that in those like high traffic stores it's just not worth the square footage to yep. have just basically seats that aren't you know, are only usable for one thing, but uh, I think in a city like London, where you have multiple stores and you have, you know, they do a lot of type events there, like you said, the one you did. I think it probably makes sense to have at least one store that that has that option.
0: Yeah, and I think they're going to keep one in New York, probably. You know, like so they have these places to do these things because they clearly like to do them. Um, I think right. now I've seen all of the stores that have had this refurbishment done to them. From what I can recall, it's Memphis, San Francisco, and Regent Street. I can't think of any more that have the new design um so I've seen them all, and I might be biased, but I think the Regent Street one is the best looking of all of them
1: yeah I mean, I mean, looking at your video it it you know when it, when Angela Ehart started talking about what she wanted to do with them, you know it, it sounded like a part museum almost right like you have all these these plants and, like, these big seating areas, and it felt very um, informal, like, in a way, but also, like, the the architecture, in a, in a way, was very striking, and I think mm-hmm. the Regent Street store is the best example of that. Like, the store, like, here in Memphis, or even in San Francisco, feels more like a traditional Apple store than my impression was from your video. Where you have these huge, tall ceilings, you have this, you know, this beautiful staircase, and it feels more like a destination almost than than I think
0: some of the others I've been to. One of the the weird things though for me is that they've actually reduced the square footage of sales space. So mm-hmm. the previous store was two floors and there were products across all both of the floors, but that's not the case anymore. There's they now kind of just have the one large floor and then you can go up and there's a space in the back and i think they've purely done this for aesthetic reasons because having the large ceilings like it looks incredible just a just an interesting observation but yeah, i think when i first heard about the trees right and stuff like that it was like what are they why why are they putting trees in the apple store? <laughs> but it weir- it works weirdly well like it just it just feels good there are, there are smarter people than me
2: that come up with these ideas yeah, i think it feels cozy Cozy, but also striking at the same time. I don't know, it's a, it's a it's a, strange combination of this is like a magnificent work of architecture, but also, hey, there's a tree, you can sit down yeah. and talk to people. <laughs> like, there's a weird contrast there, but I also think it works. And my experience is more limited than you guys. I've only been to the San Francisco store. In fact, we've been together to that store, uh, and it felt great, like... It's not as striking as the photos from the Regent Street store, uh, but I think I like this new direction. Like, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, the way that the headphones, for example, are displayed on the shelves. Actually, not shelves, but, you know.
0: On, like, little heads, like the circular heads. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, the
2: way the accessories are displayed, the way that you can talk to uh, Apple employees and, you know, the trees and the the, the the high ceilings, the big displays, I think it's really beautiful.
0: And I think it's really nice to be able to pick up an iPhone and truly use it without it being cabled to a desk. Yeah, that's that's a really nice touch. Yeah, those those phones brick. By the way, if you try and take them out, they just brick immediately. Yeah. They've got some like some a, software on them.
2: Yeah, nine to five Mac. Uh, had some details on the special software. They're they're basically tied to the store Wi-Fi. And as mm. soon as you walk out the the store, uh, some special Find My iPhone uh, iCloud keychain. Software uh, basically destroys the phone and it's unusable. So don't don't try to to get one and run because it's not going to work.
1: It's like uh, James Bond getting a mission on a cassette tape and then
0: you know, or uh, <laughs> an Mission Impossible and then the smoke comes out.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> this phone will destroy yeah. in five seconds.
0: <laughs> Maybe that was what happened to all the Note Sevens.
2: Oh, oh, no, he did it. No, no, you you went there. No, why, Mike? Why?
1: (laughs) I think the most interesting thing about this Apple store and all these other ones we're talking about is Apple is getting better at making the Apple stores unique to their their location. So, like, when I worked in retail, you know, now nine years ago or something, basically all the stores were more or less the same. And then you had, like, the mini stores that were in malls and they use like, brushed metal panels everywhere, but... If you walked into an Apple store, they were all more or less the same. You knew where everything was because they were all laid out the same. The width may change, and they may have some different features, but they were all very similar. I think that was important for a really long time, as Apple was really growing their retail presence. You wanted any Apple store a consumer walked into to be friendly and to not be overwhelming. But now, you know, Apple's obviously a much bigger company, much stronger company than it was then. And I think it's good that they are, you know, they're taking these these elements of their retail stores and remixing them. And I think we saw this starting maybe even with like the cube in New York, and then they were in the train station in in New York, and and you know, a very unique space where they could take these same elements but remix them in new ways. And it really feels to me like comparing London to San Francisco to those New York stores to like my Apple store, just like a run of the mill, you know, suburban Apple store. They're they are rebuilding them and redesigning them for the spaces that they're in. And mm-hmm. it means that like the flagships always be special and like no doubt Regent Street is at the head of that list. But I think it also means that like my just like little Apple store here is unique in, in its own way and that it may be slightly different than some of the others because of its location. And um I like that. I think I think it is Apple really paying attention to where their stores go and as they go through this, what will surely be a multi-year process to update all the stores. You know, Memphis was one of the first ones with these new design elements. Um, I expect to see some variation and to see Apple treating them um, differently. You know, even the campus store, which again, the three of us went to this summer, they had the video screen, but it was much smaller because, you know, the campus store is is very small. And that campus store is super hot. Do you remember that? Very hot to walk near it's very strange, and the campus was actually much much smaller than it used to be uh, when I was there in the past it, it was much larger, but I think as they're like updating them and renovating them uh, I'm excited to see where they go with it i I love Apple retail like I think it's a fascinating corner of the company to, to study and I think that the decisions like hey we're going to um, shorten the second floor and not have as much square footage for an aesthetic reason is like endlessly fascinating and i think that it's pretty cool that they're um, they're getting these these rolled out i'm i'm a big fan
0: i wanted to just provide a bit of follow up about the beat solo 3 so michael and scott wrote in to let us know that the beat solo 3 use bluetooth class 1 chips typically um, bluetooth devices especially headphones use class 2 chips the class 1 bluetooth chips range is 100 meters so that's why nice it's not, it, yeah. Whether Apple is doing anything special or not, it has such a great range because the Bluetooth chip or standard or class is is much better.
2: Yeah, I guess they're doing they're sort of combining the the better Bluetooth chips with the with the W one because I mean some people have said they're only using the W one for pairing, which that might as well be, but we don't know. And it seems to me like it would be you know too limited to say that you know, to, to build a custom chip only for the pairing screen. Which, I mean, pairing a Bluetooth device is an annoying process, but it seems like Apple would like to do a little more uh, rather than just pairing to, you know, to develop a custom chip and then only use it once. Um, and they seem to sort of suggest this in the BuzzFeed interview that we talked about last week when they said that there's a lot of secret sauce going on. So I guess they're using, the, you know, this better Bluetooth Uh, system uh, as the foundation, but then the W1 chip can optimize for everything, whether it's range, battery life, power consumption or pairing, iCloud sync. Uh, So I don't think it's just for pairing and definitely the better Bluetooth helps, but I think the the sweet spot is in the combination of the two and sort of the sauce that Apple keeps referring to, but we we don't know exactly what it is. And I'm Actually curious to check out the AirPods if sort of if they have the same benefits of the beats solo three in a much smaller package. I mean of course battery life is gonna be different, but I wanna see if range is the same. I wanna see you know what the pairing looks like with iCloud because uh, you know, there's quite a size difference between the between the Solo 3 and the AirPods. So in theory, we should be getting some kind of news within the next two weeks because we're approaching the, you know, the end of October real quickly. And in theory, the AirPods should be launching within two weeks, even less maybe. So we'll see.
0: Today, I heard Siri go off there.
2: That's <laughs> quite funny. Yeah, that was Sierra. Thank you, Sierra. For... <laughs> Jesus, why? Why did I even upgrade this Mac?
3: Why,
2: why did I do
1: this? Did the keycaps grow back that are missing? Did Sierra fix that for you?
2: No, I was, I was just playing with my trackpad. And of course, I went over the the beautiful Siri icon in the, in the menu bar. Yes. Which is like the only colored icon uh, in the menu bar.
0: D- don't even get me started.
2: Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Sierra, for doing that.
0: Today, just before we recorded, uh, the embargo lifted on the Google Pixel. Uh, So far, I've checked out the Verges review. Um, There are a bunch of reviews out there which I'm going to be looking at, but uh, I'll put the Verges review in the show notes. Um, Dieter Bone wrote the review and he produced a great video, uh, which is, of course, how I have consumed this review so far. There's a couple (laughs) of things that I picked out. Um, the the review the video review just starts with this is the best Android phone that has ever been made, and this is a common thing. Like the uh, the Wired review, uh, David Pierce basically says exactly the same that it's the best Android phone ever. Um, yeah, I
2: mean, it's not a very high bar, is it?
0: <laughs> no, that's not fair. You're so, being okay. you're being mean now. Don't be don't be that I guy. Know.
2: I know. <laughs> okay, yeah, I get it. I agree. Okay.
0: Right, there are great phones, like the Samsung phones, when, when they don't explode, they're great. Um, now you're and, being the, mean. I know I am, <laughs> but that's something you can really say. Uh, the 6P is is amazing, right? The Nexus 6P, the the Huawei phone that I had is is a really great phone. There are really great Android phones. Like I, have, as I've said many times, like I lust after the design of the Samsung stuff right now. I think it looks amazing, and their stuff, and their phones work really well. Anywho um he seems really happy with the build quality um mentions a few times about the design just being utilitarian uh mentions that it looks like the iphone it's kind of like the more i've the more time i spent looking at pictures of this thing and seeing it in videos it basically just looks to me like smartphone like that's how you would call this the design of this is smartphone like they asked can we design smartphone yes here is smartphone (laughs) it's like you know when you see an ad And the ad has just like some generic smartphone, right? Because they can't use the iPhone. That's what this looks like. And I don't know what I think about this now. The more time I've spent thinking about it, like how do I feel about it? It just looks like generic smartphone. Maybe that was the thing Google should have done this time. Don't try and do anything crazy. Just nail it. And I think that they've kind of just built something which is just like, here is phone, as you know it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about that too, especially like the the outline shape of a phone. You know, maybe just because I've got the the black iPhone seven plus sitting here on my desk, but a lot of phones have condensed into this. And you kind of think about like when notebooks were th- were a new thing, and and Apple and some others had some like really crazy looking machines by today's standards. Like, like just go uh, Google search the Macintosh portable and and weep for humanity. Hmm. But over time notebooks notebook design sort of condensed to where it is now and you had like the trackball and I remember very distinctly like the first laptop I ever got to use my dad bought an NEC like a windows 3.1 laptop and it had a trackball but it had it on the front surface so like if you're if you're at a mac uh, notebook, like where the, the little cutout is to lift it, like it was on that front edge, not on the not on the same plane as the keyboard. And that thing was ridiculous to use. But, you know, over time, Apple and others sort of, you know, realized, okay, we push the keyboard up, we put the pointing device here, center at the bottom, we end up moving to a trackpad eventually. And now the basic template of a notebook is more or less the same, you know, ex- excluding the crazy, like, you know, flip convertible things we see now. But, a traditional laptop, is they're all kind of the same, and I, mm-hmm. I just wonder if that's what we're seeing with smartphones. That is not so much about the pixel copying the iPhone, although I, although they definitely have a lot of sim- similarities, similarity, especially on the back, like the antenna lines and stuff. It's very similar, but if you if you if you zoom out from the details and look kind of like from across the room, I think you're right, Mike. That oh god uh, that. This is sort of like the template. This is sort of the the design language for smartphones, and yep. and you know I think we'll we'll continue to see tweaks and variations. Like you know the MacBook Air brought the tapered design. You know, still a notebook, but a little bit different. But uh, you know it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers some people. I think that they, um, I think that that they had to play it safe. Like you said, that coming out of the gate with something really bananas would distract from what they're trying to do. Uh, with the software and with like the first time they've done hardware and software together. And so having a design that's kind of a safe conservative bet, even if that means looking like the iPhone was probably the right call. So the design isn't the story, but the, the software and hardware is the story. And even with that, that glass window on the back, which I don't think looks very good. Uh, Even that, in the reviews that I've seen, basically just gets washed over. The design is not really a part of the story, and I think that's a win for Google. I think Google wants people talking about the Assistant and what they're doing to Android and how it's really interesting that they're doing it together, and the design just needs to kind of fade into the background.
0: The specs of the phone um, everyone seems happy with, and this is a game that we don't really play, right? Because there just aren't specs for the iPhones, like officially spoken about. Um, but it's got a Qualcomm Snapdragon 821, which, I mean, that's lots of numbers, and there's dragons in it, so, I mean, it's probably a good thing. Got to It has good. four gigabytes of RAM, which is insane, right? Like, four gigabytes of RAM, uh, and it has an OLED screen, which looks really great. Everyone seems to be really happy with that. It's supposedly really powerful. Uh, Bone said that he found that the battery life on this was much better than any phone that he's used recently. Like, by a couple of hours, more usage a day, than an iphone or any other android phone and google is doing a lot of stuff now to try and make the the software use the battery less i think they have a thing called doze which was brought in with android 7 so they're finding different ways to try and uh, enhance that the camera he says really good the idea of it being the best camera not so much Uh, the sample photos that are in the review they do look really good um there's no optical image stabilization in this in the in the images I like can still images, which can be a problem. but I think that the camera looks fine um, and he took some video he showed some sample video with the stabilization on the video. That also looked really interesting to me. It looked really mm-hmm. good. Um, the camera definitely looks like it holds up against like the iPhone and the s 7 you know like they they look different in their own way. like you can see like the, the quality of the picture is basically the same, but like they represent colors differently. And I guess it's just a taste thing at this point. Like, what what do you like the most? I mean, it looks fine to me.
1: Yeah, they're doing something interesting with HDR. I think by default, HDR mm-hmm. is turned on so that the photos, like on their little slider, JavaScript thing, it, does, it looks like an, an HDR photo from an iPhone, but I think maybe even a little bit better than what the iPhone does. Uh, really, like, nice... Dark colors, but still a lot of brightness and a lot of contrast. I think to my taste, like that's how I prefer my photos. Like if I go and edit a photo, I tend to increase the contrast a little bit, increase the um, saturation a little bit. It's just personal taste. And I think Mm -hmm. uh, to me, these look really good. Um, And I'm really glad, you know, for so long, like if you wanted to carry an an Android phone, it kind of meant you had to have a bad camera. Like it was sort of a trade-off that just came with it. But I think for people who want to run Android, uh, having something that like totally in the same ballpark as the iPhone is is great. And um, I guess they put it head to head with the with the, the S7, which is also really good. Um, so yeah, I think I think they look really nice. It's that was it actually really impressed me looking at the Verge's review. That's what jumped out at me the most was, you know, they seem to have gotten this right.
2: Yeah, I, I fall on, on, on a different side. I think I, I'm looking at the photo comparisons on the version. I think I prefer the the way that they look on the iPhone.
0: Yeah, uh, but that's fine though. I've- that's the thing, isn't it? It's like you can see that it's a good camera, but it's like how what image do you like the most, you know? Personally, I think that the Samsung image looks the nicest to my tastes. Like yeah, a- the
2: Samsung image looks like the colors are way too saturated and it almost looks fake to me. Yeah, I like, like sp- that though. See, this, is, this okay. is it,
0: right? Like the three of us are like the perfect use <laughs> case here. Like we all just like the images differently. I mean, I like the saturate. I like colors to be more saturated in images. I don't know why. It's just a thing that, that I like. Um, and I guess that's what it is now, right? But like we can see that all of these are really great photos, but they have differences to them, which you can like or don't like. And, and I think it's good that we're at that point because now, you know, as, as Stephen said, there was a time maybe a few years ago where you had to kind of get used to the fact that if you were using Android, either the camera wasn't going to be good or the software wasn't going to be good that drove the camera. But now it doesn't really feel like that's so much of a problem anymore in the leading uh, Android phones, especially if you listen to DxO Mark, right? Uh, it seems, you know, all in all, this is a really good... Device, mine. I think will be here within the next week or two. I am very excited because this looks like a great phone. You know the other things that people are focused on are stuff we already know about, like the assistant. It looks, it looks better than Siri, but still not great, right? That it can do things, it understands context more, but it still falls down. Um, I want to put it through its paces myself. Like even today, like you know with these assistant things, I could have thrown my Echo out the window today. All I wanted it to do was to play Kings of Leon's new album, and I just mm-hmm. no, it didn't matter what I said, it couldn't do it. It mm. understood the question, but just couldn't produce the answer.
1: Even with Spotify plugged
0: in? Yeah, I, I use Spotify. I don't know what the problem is, right? And I don't know if it's an issue that the uh, the album has a track by the same name on it. I mean, I'm mean, i sure this is very common. But I was asking it in many different ways. Play the new album by Kings of Leon, nothing. Play the Walls album by Kings of Leon, and it would either just play this song called Walls or it would just start playing random Kim of songs I think I asked it about seven times like these things you know you just gotta live with them so there we go I'm looking forward to getting my Pixel um, and I'll, I'll follow up on the show as to my thoughts of it this week's episode is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. You, you there, dear listener. You can communicate smarter with Text Expander. It puts the power of amazing text shortcuts right there in the palm of your hand. So just a few keystrokes, you'll be able to expand phrases, sentences, paragraphs, whatever you need. In a flash, you'll be able to speed through while still being able to customize all of your repetitive text with the use of Text Expanders fill in snippets that will make you eliminate your boilerplate drudgery. And I will give a personal recommendation here, like a, a personal endorsement of this app. I had like three minutes at my Mac before we were going to record, and I had five emails that I needed to send. Because with like, I just needed to copy and paste some text into them to send to some people. But it was like the same email that I needed to send, just with a couple of little changes. I was able to get all of those emails sent out in about two minutes because I was using my text expander filling snippets. Activate the snippet, choose the answers that I need, sent, and I was able to do that super fast with the use of text expander. It makes things happen so quickly to me. Now, you can even transform all of your repetitive tasks, all of those texts, all of those snippets into knowledge. With TextExpander's team subscriptions, you can share snippets with your whole team and make everyone more productive. TextExpander can format dates, autocorrect misspellings, and search your collected knowledge with a few letters and just a hotkey. TextExpander is perfect for standardizing and improving the written replies you and your team write every day. It helps you share consistent answers for across a whole company and make sure that you're Typing the right stuff wherever you need it. Like something that I like is, you know, now I'm sure many people have set up Mac OS instead of OS X and they have mm-hmm. a nice little Text Expander that I can flip it over for them. You can try out Text Expander free for 30 days and Text Expander subscriptions include the software for the Mac, the iPad, and the iPhone as well as Windows in beta. But we have a very special offer for you this week. This doesn't come around very often. Go to smilesoftware.com slash connected and you will get a fifty percent discount on your first year of your Text Expander Life Hacker subscription. This offer ends on November fifteenth. Go to SmilesOftware.com slash connected for more information and to claim your fifty percent discount. Thank you so much to Smile for their support of this show. All right, Federico i can't remember where this came up i mean you were talking a couple of days ago and you mentioned to me that you were going to get a new chromecast mm-hmm. i didn't know that you had one of these things i didn't know that you used it um so you have an apple tv i do why do you use the chromecast like what do you like about the chromecast
2: well there's a bunch of reasons um and and i think I, i've been thinking about this and i and I, and, I, and, I, and i believe i got to the to the basic reason so the there's a few aspects that i like like the setup is extremely simple you just log in with your google account and that's it and if you're already signed into your google account with google's other ios apps whether it's inbox or google calendar or whatever it just picks up one of those accounts and just tap it and you're good to go it does an initial setup a bunch of updates and you're done uh there's no like complicated backups restores whatever it's all done with the google account um uh, the killer aspect for me is the YouTube integration in the YouTube app. So whenever I I use YouTube a lot and uh, and I think it's the, I think it's the YouTube is the TV channel that I watch the most with my girlfriend. Like we're constantly watching YouTube videos and I mean, including your channel, Mike. So uh, having a a Chromecast icon in the YouTube app Mm -hmm. with, with one tap, literally one tap, it goes off to my big TV. That's awesome. And it's something that I, could do with YouTube clients and AirPlay, but it, you know I don't want to do that. It's just simpler to use a Chromecast. And, of course, Chromecast as a protocol is integrated in many apps. It's in YouTube, it's in Infuse, which is the, uh, a video player app, which is awesome for iOS. It plays literally any format. It's integrated with the Synology apps. It's basically Implex. I mean, it's become a standard at this point. And in my experience, Chromecast streaming has been much more reliable, faster, uh, intuitive than using AirPlay on iOS. Uh, I mm. know that it comes with different trade-offs, such as you cannot have Chromecast controls in Control Center, but I would take that over you know, instability and you know, slowdowns or loading spinners, which were a constant problem on the Apple TV with AirPlay from iOS. Um, and then I would say, you know, it's just easier to use. It's I don't know. It, there's a lot of aspects, a lot of details, but I I feel like even the hardware, it's just an HDMI dongle that you put into the TV. In fact, I don't even keep it plugged in all the time. Just when I need it, I pop it in and, I mean, it goes on like it's plugged into the TV for weeks. And then other times I just remove it because maybe I need to connect my Wii U. And then it's, you know, when I need it again, I just plug it in again. And it's super simple. And I think the basic reason is when I want to watch something on the TV, I want to have an experience where I just turn it on and watch. And I feel like with the Apple TV, whether it's an AirPlay problem or the design of tvOS itself, which is very app-centric, it's very modeled towards the iPhone where you browse apps, I don't want to do that. I just want to turn something on and watch. And I feel like the Chromecast with a single button, with no instability, with no glitches, it just works for me. Mm. And so last week I I, I was wondering, you know... um, I have this new Wi-Fi router that I got a few months ago, and I never actually upgraded my Chromecast to use the Wi-Fi AC speeds. So I went to the nearby electronics store and got a, a Chromecast 2, I guess. It's one of the round-shaped ones. And so I just swapped the old one and put in the the, the second one, and it works. I mean, it took like five minutes. And I, I'm a really happy Chromecast user. Um, so that's it, yeah.
0: So I want to double check something. The way that you watch something on Chromecast is by activating it on your phone, right? Yes. Like there's no interface. The Chromecast has no interface. No,
2: like it shows you a photo slideshow as a lock screen. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And what
0: it does is it's not actually because, you know, the problems of AirPlay is it's the phone is streaming to the device, right? Like, and, yes. and that can be problematic in some instances. It can be fine in others.
2: Yeah, it takes over the entire iOS experience also. This is a very good point. Because when I start streaming with the Chromecast, uh, the video or audio player UI doesn't take over my iPhone or my iPad. I can yeah. do something else. Whereas when I stream with AirPlay, because of iOS own limitations with the audio video framework, Uh, there's no simultaneous uh, streaming of multiple channels. So if you decide to watch a video, well, it goes in full screen and you cannot also listen to music or have a phone call, for example. Instead, the Chromecast is, you know, its own self-contained streaming architecture, so it does its thing and you can just keep using the iPhone as you do for, you know, normally. It's kind of similar to the Sonos, which is, it's not AirPlay, it's a custom protocol, you can do something else with your iphone while you're also streaming to the sonos
0: because like for for people that don't know like the, the technical thing is it's actually nothing's happening from the phone to the device like the phone triggers the device to go out to the web and grab the link yeah right yeah that's that's the difference and so it's interesting i mean it's interesting to me that you prefer this to Uh, just the Apple TV in general but I guess it's the idea of like oh I found this thing I want to watch it okay so now let me open the YouTube app oh the YouTube app hasn't refreshed let me quit the YouTube app refresh the YouTube app and now I can watch it as opposed to like press the button and now it's on my TV I can see that but I guess the problem that you would have though is uh, I expect that there are less Chromecast integrated applications Mm. than there are media apps on the Apple TV.
2: No I don't think so
0: but what about like Netflix? Has that got the Chromecast thing in it?
2: Yeah, I don't know because I don't I don't usually Okay. I, I think don't it watch does. a lot of Netflix. I think, it does. I think it does. It's surprisingly integrated, like in a lot mm-hmm. of apps. And this was very surprising to me last year when I first got the Chromecast. But it's like it's a thing among developers to support both Airplay and Chromecast at this point. And honestly, I feel like the Apple TV just feels clunky to me whether it's the App Store or iCloud or, you know, browsing apps, there's something to it. Or maybe it's multiple little issues that add up and the entire thing feels just slow. And like it's a, it feels like a big iPhone on the, on the TV screen, whereas I think the experience on the TV screen should be optimized for let me help you watch something quickly. Instead, what I ha- what I see on the Apple TV is an overbearing interface that slows me down. Well, here's an app update. Here's the App Store. Oh, by the way, you need to sign up with iCloud. You know, it's a bunch of things that slow me down. Instead, with the Chromecast, it's like just like well, tap a button and there you go. <laughs> and I prefer that.
0: It's, I mean, it sounds like a good experience, but like I, I will just say, like I love my Apple TV. Like I don't have the. I don't think I have too much of the workflow that you do. Like, when I'm sitting down to watch something on the TV, it's with intention. So, like, I don't see Mm -hmm. something on my phone and be like, I need to go put that on the TV. Let me press the Chrome, you know, the the AirPlay button. I've never used AirPlay. Like, that's just not my style. Like, my way of doing it would be to then pick up the Apple TV remote, press it, and then open the app and select the content. And that works for me. And as I said before, like I really like the Apple TV. It has its problems, but overall, I think it's a great device. You know, and it's got everything on it that I need. I can understand the appeal of something like the Chromecast, but with where I am right now, like I, it sounds this sounds very cool, but it's not enough for me to be like, well, I'm going to ditch my Apple TV now because I like my Apple TV a lot. You know.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the Apple TV, as you know, if you're the kind of person who prefers that kind of. Intentional experience of I sit down, I browse apps, I choose what I want to watch. Like that makes total sense, but I I feel like what I'm doing is. It's a more of a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing. Like, I find a YouTube video that I want my girlfriend to watch with me. I'm like, hey, let's check out this YouTube video. But instead of watching it on the tiny iPhone screen, it just goes off to the TV. And same goes for, like, TV show episodes. Sometimes we want to watch one episode before sleep. Other times we don't. So on those occasions, I'm like, yeah, let's just watch one for 20 minutes. And I just feel like opening Infuse and then tapping a button. It's easier than doing the whole dance with the Apple TV.
1: One thing that I think something like Chromecast has uh, in its favor over AirPlay is the ability to do multiple things. Like just last night, I wanted to AirPlay something from my iPad to the Apple TV, but I was still using the iPad while the video was on the television. And so, you know, I I the video I was watching was in Safari, AirPlay to the Apple TV, closed Safari, opened TweetBot, and someone had sent me uh, something in a tweet that I wanted to see. And, of course, I tapped it not remembering that I was hooked up to AirPlay, and what I tapped started playing, like, overrode what was being sent to the Apple TV and started playing it there as a, as opposed to playing it on the iPad. And it's it's actually a little embarrassing how often I do this, where I'm AirPlaying something from the iPad or the iPhone, and then I'm still doing something else, um, and it kind of breaks that second screen experience where, if I understand correctly... Um, if you're Chrome, if you're doing something on Chromecast, you can play something else on the phone locally, right? Because the Chromecast is pulling down the feed. Is that... Yeah. Um, and so that, that's like, a, it's a little thing. And I, I do wonder if it's like only, I'm the only person who runs into this or I just, you know, forget it all the time. But it's definitely uh, annoying. It's like I was watching something that my kids wanted to watch and then I hit something in TweetBot and it like overrides the video and suddenly I have like a family situation. So uh, I wish AirPlay would be... A little bit smarter about that sort of thing, to saying I am pulling my feed from Safari and don't change that until you you know the user goes in and says stop airplaying from Safari. And I, I get what they're trying to do; they're trying to to make it really easy if I just want to change what I'm airplaying. But I definitely run into that on a fairly regular basis where um, I just kind of forget how it all works, and that, that can be a little frustrating.
0: Yeah, yeah. I said this is why I just never use it. Like, plus with my dodgy internet connection here, I mean, I don't know if this is if it's because of that, I have like, a bad route or whatever. But when I tried to use AirPlay one time to stream something from my Mac to my Apple TV. It was a nightmare. Yeah, I ended up just grabbing a HDMI cable and just plugging my MacBook into the TV because mm-hmm. it was just way more reliable. Um, AirPlay is just not really something that I I even think about using very much. Uh, so I never run into these issues just because it's one of those things where I've used it a couple of times, didn't like it and never come back to it. But the Apple TV is a device that I use multiple times a day, every single day, um, and I'm happy with it. But I'm pleased that Chromecast is as good as it is. You know, with the type of stuff that I watch on my Apple TV, the Chromecast would probably be a great solution because I'm basically just YouTube videos and Netflix mm-hmm. and Chromecast integrates with both of those. So it would probably do a really good job for me. You know, As probably would the Amazon Fire TV stick thing.
2: Oh yeah, I've been, I've been curious about that actually. I know that Dan Moran is a big fan of... of Dan the-
0: Moran loves anything Amazon.
2: <laughs> or
0: Xbox. That's true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I should check it out. Actually, I don't know if I, can, uh, if I can buy... You cannot buy anything Amazon besides the Kindle in Italy. I feel like they totally forgot that this country exists when it comes to Fire TV or Alexa or like just read. Maybe they, they think Italians are illiterate. I don't know. But we can just buy Kindles.
0: That's a shame. We had that for a long time.
2: Really? Yeah.
0: We well, would I like can that buy the Fire
2: time. tablet at 60 euros on Amazon. Ooh. I can buy the Kindle Paper White. Uh let's see if I if I search for Fire TV on Amazon Italy. Uh yeah, no Fire TV.
0: It was like when I would search for the Echo and just get like books about the Echo or cases <laughs> no, for <there's>, the Echo. <laughs> there is there's actually
2: like fake uh TV boxes like the Como Oh no, this is an Amazon Fire TV cover. Nice. Uh there's a Caso Q box. It's like fake Chinese Android Please
1: buy that and review it. You should get that one. No, do it right no,
2: now. No, 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 I'm not going to do no, that. No, it's
1: your turn no. to spend money on the show. Mike did it, then I did it. It's your turn.
0: This is a really bad thing for us to choose to make him spend his money on, though, you know.
1: <laughs> I know. But humorous. Should we move on? Yep. So Federico came to us with a question for topic number three. Mm-hmm. And his question was, what is the last iOS app that genuinely impressed you?
3: Uh huh.
2: So. Yeah, because I feel like we're, there there was the golden age of apps for the iPhone, then the iPad, and it felt like there was always some kind of gem. Uh, coming out from someone in the, especially in the indie community. And I feel like over time, whether it's because we moved to web services maybe more than native apps and clients, or maybe just a general, you know, lack of curiosity, if you will, or maybe just the fact that apps have become normal, I feel like there's not that much excitement anymore. So I wanted to see if maybe there's still something else occasionally that draws our attention. And for me, that kind of app has been TimePage. TimePage is a calendar client by Moleskine. You know, they make actual, like, little agendas. And what, what's the proper name? Week notebooks. Planners? I don't know. They Note make notebooks. notebooks. Yes. Yes. You, you are the pen guy, so you know. Yeah. Um, so TimePage is a calendar client for the iPhone. And it came out on the iPad as well last week. And it's by far... And, I mean, I try a lot of apps. But it's by far one of... Maybe the best-looking app I've seen... On the iPhone and now the iPad in years. Every
0: time I hear you mention this app, I'm like, I should check it out. And I just never do. So I am I am downloading it right now.
2: The use of typography, the multiple colors, there's multiple themes you can choose from. And each one of them has been, I feel like it has been thoughtfully chosen by the developers. And the animations are even better than the the visuals, the, the static graphics alone. Uh, the animation work that went into TimePage is impressive. Uh, It's not, you know, the kind of app with a lot of fancy and showy and slow animations. Each one of them feels like it has a purpose and there's lots of them but done in very tasteful ways and they don't overcomplicate the UI, they don't slow you down, uh, both from a static perspective and from a... Um, you know, emotion perspective, TimePages is, is absolutely delightful. Like it's w- the best app I've seen in a while on iOS. And I was surprised that it actually didn't win any Apple Design Awards last year at WWDC. Um, because it totally feels like one of those new apps that Apple should celebrate that are still coming out on iOS. And from a functionality perspective even, uh, it's a calendar client, so it works with any calendar that you have configured on on your iOS device. And it also has all of these different little additions, like you can check the weather for events that you have in your in your calendar you can check a forecast for an upcoming uh, for a location you can change different transportation methods and even the way that you know the you know calendars are not ex- exactly one of the most exciting areas of when it comes to design you know there's not a lot of innovation happening when it comes to displaying weeks on a calendar but i feel like timepage um has a bunch of little interactions that Sort of bring a breath of fresh air into this space, whether it's the way that you choose which calendars you want to display on the month view, like you can tap and hold, there's a calendars are displayed in a sidebar on the left side, and you can tap and hold them and as you move your finger horizontally the month view of the calendar gets uh, different colored indicators on different days if you have an event that belongs to that calendar it's uh, hard to describe in, when talking about it but uh, trying it it makes total sense and it's full, time page is full of this kind of subtle yet useful additions they look great and I to- again, I totally believe that Apple should give an Apple Design Award to this app next year, WWDC. It's on the iPhone. Now it's on the iPad. It's on the Apple Watch. They support uh, complications, watchOS 3, you know, notifications, all the great things that you can have on iOS 10. I'm pretty sure they don't have an iMessage app yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they're working on one. So, you know, um, I, used to, I, used to, I used to be surprised, especially when I started Mac Stories. I used to to be surprised by a new app on a weekly basis. And then over time that sort of app excitement kind of kind of died down a little and then we've been I mean especially for the past couple of years uh, we've seen, you know, major app updates, sequels, but not exactly a lot of innovations and Timepage feels new. And you know, props to Moleskine for, you know, being one of the few developers that are still making great native iOS apps for the iPhone for the iPad for the Apple watch it's not on the Apple TV so I'm sorry Mike you won't be able to check the calendar there but go check it out it's beautiful and it's very cool
0: the uh, setup is incredible yeah this is an amazing app I have a question for you though is this your calendar
2: app now that there's an iPad version, it came out last weekend on Friday, so I bought it right away. I wasn't on the beta, so I couldn't know what it was going to be like. I think it will be. Um, I need to test it like properly in the next uh, few weeks, but I think now that it's on the iPhone, watch and iPad, I think it has a, a good chance of becoming the default. Uh, I like... As I wrote in my iOS 10 review, I like what Apple is doing with the calendar on iOS 10 with the automatic suggestions for event creation and, you know, search, that kind of stuff. I also like, despite the awful home screen text label and the fact that it lacks an iPad version, I like the Google Calendar app for the iPhone uh, because it's very smart in helping you create new events based on your history. But it's only on the iPhone. Uh, so I think TimePage has a good chance of becoming my default, but i got to you know, sit down and run a comparison between Apple Calendar, Google Calendar, and TimePage. But my first impression is that it's going to go on my home screen. But maybe we can follow up on this in, in a couple of weeks.
0: So our flat outs agree with you in that this is one of the most beautiful apps that i've seen in a long time but i couldn't make this my calendar app because it doesn't have natural language oh Import. yeah 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 it doesn't like yeah. that's for me that is just like a that is a total deal breaker mm-hmm. with yeah. calendars now like yeah. fantastical has locked me into this system of just typing my events in like as well there's been an update recently and i hadn't tried this for a long time like Fantastic hours had time zone support for event entering for a while, but you'd have to use the time zone code. So for example, you would have to type in 10am EST for Eastern time. They made a change recently. You can just type in 10 Eastern and it knows what you mean. And like, I cannot live without that. Like I need that i need because it's not even so much of just like the oh a lunch at 12 o'clock in my own time i can't enter that in myself it is the case of like somebody says to me oh let's meet at two o'clock eastern time and i just type that into my calendar app and it knows what i mean Mm -hmm. that is something i can't i can't live without now
2: so once time page gets natural language maybe you can switch to it i i would
0: because it's gorgeous yeah like this app i've only been playing around with it for like two minutes and i am blown away by its design but that it's missing an incredibly key thing for me now it's like an email app without notifications (laughs) well that's not a thing for me anymore but like you know uh, like if an email app had no notifications and there have been some like that, like how can I do it? Or like or if an email app isn't on all platforms, it's like well, I can't, I can't use this.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I get so, it. Especially if you add a lot of events for different time zones, this is totally yep. not for you. Yeah.
0: But it does look really great. My uh, my app pick is super boring and is not really applicable for a bunch of people. Okay. And it's the YouTube Studio app.
2: <laughs> Tell us what's good about it.
0: Before I do, like I'll say, like, I'll, I'll echo your thoughts in that it's difficult for me to pick out an app like this now because so many of the apps that I use, I have not changed like the really important stuff. So like the calendar thing, like I'm not going to change because Fantastical is exactly what I'm looking for. It is an incredible app, but I'm used to it. I, I don't think that there are as many breakout amazing successes anymore because the a lot of it is quite mature, you know? So I, so I think there a lot of like the really impressive, amazingly done ideas have already been done. And now a lot of apps that come out kind of follow along that and we expect more from them, you know? So I think that's why we're in a in a kind of probably like the silver age, you know, like you said we were in the golden age, we had that, we're in like the silver age, now it's more mature and things are kind of like expected at a higher level. But the reason I like the YouTube Studio app is because it's incredibly well organized, um, like... Google or YouTube have found a way to kind of distill their incredible amount of analytics down into a good application. I find the analytics uh, much easier to understand and go through than what's on the web. So like my views and subscribers and stuff like that. Um, I like that also I have the ability to just have all of the comments that I get in like a long list and I can reply to them and respond to them right there. And you can also make some basic changes to metadata and stuff like that to your videos. Um, I think it it works really well for me. It does the job that I need it to do, which is to have access to all of this stuff on the go. And as with all Google apps, it has really great kind of account switching support. So I'm able to flip over to the Cortex channel super easily without needing to put passwords in every single time. They're always just there because I authenticated them once in a Google app, which is something you mentioned with the Chromecast stuff. I love that. I love like the Google apps and the Facebook apps and stuff like that, where they just know who you are. So you don't have to keep entering your information over and over again. But yeah, I think that it's a really great design app and I know it's super boring for everybody. So I'll kind of give a quick shout out to an iMessage application that I like, which is GamePigeon um the game I pigeon, love game pigeon. <laughs> yeah. basically it's just me and steven just play the 8 ball app in messages like they have an 8 ball game which is super yes. fun and every now and then i'll get a message from steven and it's like it's your turn and i'm like yeah <laughs> so that's a great app i've game pigeon has a bunch of um games in it but i've not played any of them other than 8 ball but uh, it is a really great it's like a, it's a really really great application so I like that one a lot. So there's another one. That's fun because it it does it in a really fun and cool way to to make the games work. And one thing that I really like is it automatically sends the message that you don't have to keep tapping to send and stuff like that. It's, It's really well done.
1: So I am going to pick... It's an app that's been out for a little while, but I have started using it more, and it's Talk Show, And it doesn't really genuinely impress me as an app itself. In fact, the app is a, a little buggy in places and was kind of super broken on the iPad for a while. But what it does is, is pretty neat. So if you've ever followed along, if we're covering an Apple event or a Google event live, um, we're now doing that in talk show more and more. And it's sort of a cross between tweeting and like they call it public textings. I don't really agree with that description. I think it's kind of like a a micro twitter in a way where you can just spin up a room and you can subscribe to a room and that any of the hosts can add text or links to that room and so if the three of us are covering an event you know we get people can come in and join the room and read what we are writing about it in real time and people can submit questions and there's polls now like all sorts of fun stuff it's it's just a nice way to cut to do coverage of an event that's not like out on Twitter for all of our followers to see like it's a little more um
0: condensed and a little more um like purpose built. It, it's kind of walled off. Yeah. Right so you don't need to like spam your Twitter feed.
1: Right. Um so it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we've been doing them a lot with Jason and some other people. And like I said, it doesn't really fit the criteria of like well-polished, beautiful app. Like it's very utilitarian. But it um, what it allows and this type of creation you can do within it I, is really fun and interesting to be a part of. So um, I think that that is the, the, the first pick I would make. The,
0: the other way I would bring up is, I would say just if I could have one thing to talk show like sure, I really like recently that they added the ability to ask for people to ask questions to the hosts mm-hmm. that's a really great feature, like the q and a feature I, th- I think that's really good like so when whenever we do those kind of uh live blogs basically uh people can ask questions and you can accept the questions and, and that works out really well
1: yeah i think i uh, I think it's really uh, it makes it more interactive as opposed to just like a one way like um one-way thing yeah the the other thing that i would that i would bring up and it it kind of actually breaks the idea of the question because it is a sequel but um earlier this year day one uh, got updated to, to version two and day one is an app that we've talked about it before i've i use it heavily really to keep like a photo diary of family stuff so like i can go in and see pictures from years and years ago of my kids doing stuff or like the time we went out of town or like I write in there and I do some of the stuff that Mike, you've talked about of like, if I have like, I have a thing um like when that YouTube video hit a million views, like screenshot of that Um the sort of way to build a memory against the time, build memories against a timeline is really fun. And uh day one version two added a bunch of stuff. But one of the, my favorite things is it's very much like time hop. So if you open up day one, um, so I got my phone here and open day one and it says right at the top, you have six entries on this day in history. And so I can look back and I can see one year ago, two years ago, three years ago, uh, entries around this date. And, uh, you know, some of the photo management services have done that. You can actually do it in photos if you force touch on the, Icon. There's a one year ago shortcut. But you can also search, and I just I love that as a as a simple way to to kind of look back and and remember a little story or a little um, a little happening in life that you forget about. And so for me, especially as a parent, like day one continues to be on my home screen on my iPhone and my iPad. It's it's in the dock on my Mac. It is an app that I absolutely spend time in and and truly love. And uh, the new version, uh, even though it's it's an update of the original, is something that I really I uh, have a lot of enjoyment and a lot of uh,
0: attachment to this app. So I think that's it, right? If we picked all of our delightful apps, that's a good idea, Federico. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think so. Um, it's a uh, you know we used to do this a lot of uh, a few years ago, and I kind of wanted to you know try it again and see. You know, those are good picks, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for for being up for it.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Connected. I'd like to thank again our sponsors for this week, Smile and the Nuisance Committee. If you'd like to find us online, there's a couple of places that you can do that. You can find Federico's work over at maxstories.net and he is at Baticci on Twitter, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Stephen is at ISMH and he writes over at 512pixels.net and I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. And if you'd like to see me rather than hear about me, you can go to my YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com/slash. Mike early. Uh, please go and download our application, Relay uh, 1.5. The Relay FM app now includes the stickers, as we mentioned. You can get that in the App Store, but of course, you will find uh, links to that in our show notes, which are at relay.fm/slash connected/slash 113. We'll be back next time. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, say goodbye, guys.
3: Arrivederci. Adios. Donald Trump says he alone can solve America's problems. At his rallies, he whips his supporters into a violent frenzy and says that people who have criticized him will suffer when he's president. Trump blacklists members of the media that write negative stories about him and says that when he's president, he'll restrict the rights of the free press. He openly calls for the U.S. to commit war crimes and says that we should torture and killed the innocent children of suspected terrorists. Regarding waterboarding, he said, even if it doesn't work, they probably deserved it anyway. A veteran told Trump that American soldiers wouldn't follow that order, and Trump said, they're not going to refuse me. If I say do it, they're going to do it. Dictators around the world love Trump. He is praised by Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un's state-run media. Back in 1990, Trump's wife told her lawyer that he keeps a copy of Hitler's speeches by his bedside. Trump surrounds himself with yes-men, sycophants, and fools. There's nobody in Trump's inner circle that will tell him no or correct him on the facts. Now Donald Trump gets classified national security briefings, and he has repeatedly asked why the U.S. can't use its nuclear weapons. As Americans, it is our duty to resist fascist dictators wherever they rise up in the world. This November, we are not going to elect one here. The Nuisance Committee is responsible for the content of this advertising.